0: Hey everyone. This episode of the Second Pine Podcast is brought to you by It's Just Soap. Many store-bought body washes and soap bars are made with toxic ingredients that are harmful to your skin. Soap should be healthy for your body, leaving you feeling clean, hydrated, and moisturized. It's Just Soap is made with natural ingredients, giving you a luxurious lather for the best shower experience. Every shower should feel this good. Go to itsjustsoap.com. That's its itsjustsoap, S-O-P, leave out the A for additives.com and use the code Home Husband for 15% off your first purchase. Before we jump into the podcast, we just wanna ask you for a bit of help as we try to extend our reach. The easiest step is to simply subscribe or follow The Second Pint on whatever podcatcher you prefer. Apple, Spotify, Overcast, Google Podcasts, we're on all of them. A rating and review would take an extra minute, but would help even more. Finally, if you have a second pint drinking, scarf wearing, singing, wake up early to watch Weekend Soccer Friend, please, please tell them to check out this podcast. Welcome to the Second Pint Podcast. I'm Sean Melia, and I've got Both on the other line. As always, Buongiorno, Both.
1: Buongiorno. Um, I'm losing that accent and becoming more local as we speak.
0: <laughs> the Same, the Midwestern uh, Boston transplant the, Italian. Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, born born in LA, live in Boston, now living in Chicago. It's like I'm, I'm covering everything.
0: I didn't know you were born in LA. Yeah, uh, Long Beach. Yeah. Okay. Do you remember ever living there, or was that one of those like you were born there and then moved before there was any memories?
1: No, I remember I remember uh seeing these Chevy Impalas bump off the ground on the street um, and uh getting some uh some elote, some corn from some vendors on on the street. It was good times, man. I, I think I've I've lived in kind of like the, the I've done I've done everything. I've done California, Chicago, Boston and Houston. Yep. So got a taste of the entire country.
0: Yeah, you just gotta. You, does Houston deep south? Do they Houston, consider themselves deep south, or are they like different because it's in Texas and that's it's more? Not, of – No, it's not deep south. I, I felt I felt pretty comfortable. I don't know if I feel comfortable <laughs> in deep south. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, yeah I, I think of the deep south as like Alabama, Mississippi.
1: Yeah.
0: Maybe no, Arkansas. I mean,
1: Alabama, I, I love to visit, but. Like, how, how can I teleport there and not have to travel there? Is, is the question.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, all, all right. Well, let's, we're, we're, we're going to Rome today. We had our Rome. choice of, of two clubs. We knew we had to do at least one club in Rome. We've been bouncing all over the country. I think this is our eighth or ninth team that we've done in Italy. Um, so we're going to talk about Lazio today. That's where we landed. We decided to go to the sky blue side of, of Rome and talk about Lazio instead of Roma. Um, so, just a quick, like we always try to do, this is a very short Rome piece because if you know, you people who are listening have most likely know enough about it. I'm not going to add anything uh, really great. And um, maybe you've been there. It's a bucket list place for a lot of people. I've been there. Have you been to Rome? No, man, I haven't. Rome was not my favorite place that we visited Um, I was only you know I was like a ninth grader I think I've mentioned this before went with a school group Um, but it was it was it was like the city that we were definitely had the shortest leash from the chaperones they did not really want us wandering around because there just seemed to be a little bit more nefarious stuff going on with people taking advantage of tourists than there were in other other parts of, of Italy so Rome um, is the capital of Italy. Uh, you know you've got all your your big, your big sites, your big places to visit. The city's history reaches back twenty eight centuries. Um, it is also home to an entire country. Um, it is the only city with a country inside it because Vatican City um, is right there in the middle. Um, it is known as the Eternal City, which as I was reading through some stuff about Lazio, that phrase was used a few times. And I don't know if it's, I noticed it because I had just seen it and learned about it, or it's always been something that's used to talk about Rome. Um, It's also known, or has also been called the capital of the world. Uh, And then I was a Latin student, so it was always told to me that Rome got its name from Romulus. Romulus and Remus were two brothers uh, and Romulus was kind of the founder of Rome, but I also read that there actually might be there's a story that the city Rome was named after, like Romulus was named because of the city of Rome and not the other way around. Um, so a little chicken and the egg as far as the as far as the name of the city, which I thought was interesting. That was something I'd never really heard before. Um, and that's that's the quick visit to Rome. It's a huge city, huge. Uh, you know economic force in the in the country um and one of the you know biggest most visited areas of europe um as far as tourists and tourist attractions so that's all i got not not a lot rome deserves its own podcast i'm sure there are plenty out there not to poo poo rome because it's a it's an impressive and and great place to visit that's Um, pretty solid man that's all i got that's all I got. Oh. One great book you can read about Rome that I read this year is Four Seasons in Rome by I think it's Andrew Dore, who wrote um, All the Light You Cannot See, but he spent a year in Rome um, on a on a kind of writer's retreat. And it was a great book and kind of brings you to Rome. It's a good, it's a nice short little read. So if people are looking for something to read about Rome from a perspective, of, an, of an, a, a, from an American's perspective, and he traveled there with his wife and his like four month old twin children who were just born, moved from Boise to Rome. Um, he's a beautiful writer and, and it's worth the read, but that's all I got for Rome. You have anything you want to tack on or, or no? No, I mean, Kind of higher, like higher level nuts and bolts kind of stuff. For me, it's
1: like the Stadio Olimpico um, is just a, a, a legendary stadium, and I think Italian stadiums aren't as um, glorified as some of the more mainstream stadiums. Um, and you know, it's hard to kind of watch Serie A games because sometimes the, the capacity isn't isn't at its at its limit. Um, but this you know this stadium Stadio Olimpico is. It's phenomenal, man. It's a great venue. It's hosted some big games that I'll talk about later. But um I think I think we're, we, we've got another uh, bucket list stadium or another kind of iconic stadium um on the podcast. And obviously, every stadium we've covered, every team we've covered, has its own glory and history. But I think this one is one of the more kind of polished stadiums that has a little bit more of a place or two places in kind of football folklore.
0: Yeah, Um we talked when we were talking about AC Milan, we were racking our brains for other clubs that share stadiums. And we had Lazio and Roma kind of sitting under our nose and we didn't make that connection. Um, you know, so (laughs) Lazio and Roma share this 70,000 seat stadium, um, that was opened in 1937. And, yeah, it's a it's a pretty impressive place. I think San Siro would be the first one I think most people would would think about when they're asked about a Serie A stadium and I'd say Olympico would be quickly a second a second option, maybe maybe Juventus's stadium, which whose name escapes me right now. Um yeah. So the club in general um, was founded in 1900. It is well, kind of one of the older clubs in Italy. This is 1900 when I saw that date. I started thinking more about um, British, the British teams we have researched that started kind of in the late 19th century. So in 1900, founding, um, they call themselves the Eaglets or the Eagles. And it, it's prominently displayed on their crest, which is, um, which is an okay crest. They've got the blue and white, their sky blue color and an eagle on the top of it. Um, Nothing too crazy, which I guess is okay, considering it would be easy to go nuts with all the symbolism in Rome. Um, So the sky blue that they have is actually inspired by the national emblem of Greece due to the fact that Lazio is a mixed sports club. Um, This was chosen in recognition of the fact that the ancient Olympic Games um, and along with it, the sporting tradition in Europe um, is linked to Greece as well. So they, their their colors are not for anything other than the Greek emblem and the fact that I think Lazio is one of the biggest sporting clubs in Europe. So they have the most organized um, organized teams. So they have, you know, they have a basketball team and they have other teams under the Lazio umbrella, just like a Barcelona or or Real Madrid does in, in Spain. So that's where they get their sky blue color from no, no Italian connection at all. It's, it's a Greek connection. Um, and, and then that's kind of the last little bit, just about club, just the club founding. Uh, it's also the, it was the first Italian club that was publicly traded. Uh, so, Juventus and Roma are also now listed on the kind of Italian stock exchange, but Lazio was the, was the first, um, I'm trying to think of clubs that are traded on the, on the stock market in, in the United States. And I think the green Bay Packers might be the, might be the only one they're publicly owned. Um, yeah.
1: What do you got? Um, no, for me again, still, still kind of at, at a bird's eye view of, of these clubs. Yep. Um, I think this is one of the cool stories. Cool, you know, has a broad definition, but one of the, the stories that um, has football kind of blurring lines with uh, politics, or kind of sport and politics, are um, meeting and dancing this violent, um, fast-paced, passionate dance. Um, yeah, I, I have a few a few quotes here uh, or excerpts from from some. Um, some articles I, I I picked up in my research and one here is uh <laughs> really quickly uh, we are a bunch of fucking bastards basically. <laughs> Fabrizio freely admitted, utterly unrepentant of his racism and anti-Semitism. Yeah, repentant. Sorry, utterly unrepentant of his racism and anti-Semitism. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I think about you know uh, sport and teams kind of kind of clashing with politics or uh, intertwining with politics. And I think about, you know, Barcelona, Madrid, or I think about kind of like Celtic Rangers. And um, I knew Lazio was, was you know, kind of one of the most heated rivals against, you know, against Roma. But I didn't know it ran it ran this deep. Um, it's in some of the, Italy's history during some of the world wars. But
0: yeah. So I, yeah, I can
1: leave it there for now.
0: Yeah. And um, obviously Roma is a... Is a natural rival because they are, um, you know, they they share the same stadium and they share the same city, and and maybe this is what you're referring to. But part of the rivalry is the only reason there is a Lazio and Roma is because um, Mussolini in 1927 was trying to form just one club that would represent Rome, and I think Roma was formed from three clubs one of them was named Roma and the other two I uh, cannot remember the name of but Lazio basically refused to join that group um, so it is it is kind of an interesting uh, little dance and the history there or the early history of the club and the early history of the rivalry has to do with the fact that um, you know a dictator Italian dictator was was just aiming to have one club from Rome And the whole purpose was that he wanted one team in the South who could compete against the Northern clubs. And we've talked a bunch on this pod about that, that separation of North and South and the tension that is, uh, that exists there. And this is, I mean, it kind of just brings it straight to the forefront when, uh, when Mussolini is trying to just create, create one kind of super team to go and beat the Juventuses and the, and the Milan's um, up North. So yeah, there's definitely some stuff as we get in, as we get through the pod that we'll, that we'll touch on that. So uh, it's a theme. It's a trend. It's not a good one, but it's there. Um, so just quickly, just on trophies and what the club has won. They've won a fair amount of trophies. They have two Scudettos, um, one in 1974 and another one in 2000. That 74 team is fascinating, and we will chat a little bit about them. Uh, later on, uh, they have won seven Coppa Italia's, uh, starting in 58. And they also most recently won it in 2019. Um, and they've won it one, two, three, four, five times this, uh, this century. So since 2000, um, they have won the Supercoppa Italiana five times. And those were all between 98 and 2019. And they also, you know, won the illustrious Serie B in, in 1969, and then in Europe, they are Cup Winners' Cup champs in 1999. I think that late 90s team is probably the strongest team they've had, and they also won the UEFA Super Cup in 1999. So, Lazio in 99 was uh, it was very talented. I'm kind of thinking about the other teams that were that were great back then. Juventus was excellent. United Manchester United was excellent. Bayern Munich was excellent. And I think Lazio was was kind of in that. In that section of of great clubs in the late nineties, a lot of good players, great manager.
1: I, I threw I throw Madrid in there as well too.
0: Yep, they were they were um, approaching some of those heights
1: that, that we we became familiar with with the Galacticos. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's funny. I just always think they're good, and I I forget that they had some they had some down years before that that group was put together. Uh, rivalries,
1: yeah. I I I put simply <laughs> finally arrival. Yep.
0: Um, yeah.
1: yeah, I mean it's it's a proper one. It's, it's not one that we get to go digging around and look, looking up histories of skates and fornication or, you know, any of that stuff. It's, it's straight up arrival for football and politics and kind of all of that fervor and passion that you'd love to see in sport. Um I don't know like i think about the, the for me my friend and i we're we have lazio as as a, a bucket list match that we gotta attend um and roma lazio is like for us i mean if we could do it and come out alive we we would we would be
0: thrilled so what is the what is the biggest obviously we i just mentioned the the fact that these two clubs were born of a dictator trying to create something Um, and my notes here now that we're down at this at this part I'm so it was a fellow named Giorgio Vaccaro who was actually um, a general in Mussolini's regime was a Lazio supporter and basically was like no we're not we're not we're not doing this and Mm -hmm. and uh, kind of convinced convinced uh, Mussolini to not be part, to not let Lazio be part of the merger, um, which which is which is kind of the that's where it starts. Um, anything for you that that stands out from the rivalry?
1: Yeah. So I, I thought, I mean, yeah, I think we read the same the same notes and articles about the the the, the ties back to Mussolini, which I'll say right now. In Italy, we've come across Gaddafi and Mussolini as names, which is, is a surprise to me. I, I did not think we'd get there. Um, so really cool and, and just kind of uh, further shows like how intertwined the, the Italian web is in terms of football and, and life. Um, but anyway, yeah, so I, I Mussolini, by my read of, of the articles, uh, supported Roma and wanted, and wanted to have this kind of this this regime of clubs that supported him, um, and Lazio was firmly against it. And I, I read that, but then I did further for the research, and I found that there's this Corver Nord or North Curve. So kind of the if Arsenal has the, the, the North End, you know, or um, the Cop and all that kind of there's this, this there's this famous um, part of the stadium that's like historically tied to mussolini where it you know it, and they're proud of it so i think i have like an honest question of like well where where did this happen you know if you have a club that's, that's saying that you know, they were the first to kind of back away or resist that um then you have this this uh, ultra's group that are known known as the irriducibili uh, i i butcher, I butcher that Um, but you have, you have these guys that are, that are nicknamed diabolic, um, running the thing. So I'm, I'm, you know, I don't know, Sean, I'm, I'm asking you, I guess, uh, honest question. Like where, where does this happen?
0: Yeah, I, it's, it's a, it's a strange conflict and I also read, I think I read a, a note somewhere that the, that group unfurled a banner that referenced Auschwitz Mm-hmm. In, some, in like uh, in some horrible statement about Auschwitz being being their home. I can't remember who they were playing, but there it is a very it's a very odd um, <laughs> I, I guess the question or the, the thing that makes me think like I, I don't necessarily know if the club separated itself from Mussolini when they didn't become part of this super club that he was trying to build. And it just was kind of more of an inner workings between um, that general and Mussolini. And he kind of just convinced him more so than Lazio supporters standing up against against the, the team being kind of swallowed up by these other three clubs. Um, 1929 was the first match they played. And this is something I didn't really think about was if you have four clubs and one stays on its own and the other three join up. They are immediately outnumbered, um, which might have something to do with it. They were also among a lot of the working class, the Lazio fans, from what I read. So I don't know if over time um, they just it just kind of became part of their culture or their their mindset as a club to have these awful views. But that's that's the only thing I can I can piece together between right. nineteen twenty seven and now and why, why they're admitting to be like, you read the quote earlier they're They just openly admit that they're, you know, not, not the best people.
1: Yeah. I, I I have a few excerpts from article that I want to read here to
0: kind of paint this picture of
1: how beautiful and also how dark this club identity can, can be. Um, I don't know, I'm, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just a sucker for for when sport gets just wrapped up in, in a, a country, and you know, a city's history. Yeah. Um, so, here we go. Um, dot, dot, dot. Alongside viscerally racist and anti-Semitic banners and chants, they are too numerous to list in full. The constant booing and monkey, monkey chants directed at black players, the lionizing of Ser- Serbian war criminal uh, Zegsio Raznovitovich, after his murder in 2000 with a banner that said, arms to the tiger Arkan the constant mocking of Roma fans for being Jewish only to the fact that Rome Jews are, were, were largely the center from the center of the city, uh, black squad Jewish home. End. um, yeah, stickers left all over the cover. Sud so showing Anne Frank in the words, the Roma fan is a Jew, um, which like, I knew lots of ultras were, were, were intense. Uh, I knew they were, you know, a fan base to be feared, but I I did not know that this was so out in the open. Um, but yeah, these guys here, I have, I have a video loaded up here. Um, I mean, talk about hostile atmosphere. These guys, they're, they're backed up, I'd say 80 yards, 80 meters from, from the end line. And I still think that I'd be pretty scared if I was near that goal. Um, Oh man. Yeah. It's, it's, it's cool. Like there's flares, t and banners, you know, running around, everyone's in unison chanting. Um, but it's also just like horribly, horribly, uh, scary with, with what they're chanting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, it's always hard and it's a, a tricky thing to talk about the ultras as far as how many and what percentage of the fans that they represent within a club. Mm -hmm. right? Um, It's always just, like, I have no idea. I'm assuming it is the minority. I'm hoping it's the minority. Um, But man, it is a, it is a really tricky dance to, uh, or a tricky, I I don't know what, what the right analogy is, but I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of someone who would be like, as a Celtics fan, if I went to games and there were, there were fans there, kind of openly chanting or openly kind of uh, f- flying banners or singing songs that were racist or anti-Semitic. It would be, I think, I'd have to have. I, I mean, I'd come home and kind of wonder what I was doing with my with my time. Um, I'd be interested to hear from fans who do not stand with that, do not have those beliefs, and how they manage to balance what the ultras do versus what they love to watch on a, on a Saturday or a Wednesday. Um, right. cause it's gotta be like, that's, that's for me that you, you're, you said you were kind of interested in the city. Um, that for me is the interesting, like where's the cognitive dissonance? How do they balance that? Do they not go to matches? Do they, I don't know. Do they, where do they, what do they read? Um, what parts of history do they try to just, a race or what part of history they try to learn from and maybe teach other people. I have no clue. Um, but it is definitely a very different experience than I think we have here as, as fans of teams. And that's not to say there's teams here that have fans who are openly, you know, racist or anti-Semitic.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a, it's a balance that I, I mean, for me as a fan, I, I think, um, the visuals, the the smells of the stadium, uh, yeah, that, that draws draws me in. I think there's no better fan base than a soccer or football or calcio fan base. Um, flares going off, the banners, the song and chants that are you know choreographed. Um, I think it's it's so cool. So I'm I'm torn because I think the atmosphere is is incredible. Um, I think with the derby days, you know Roma Lazio uh, or any Lazio big game incredible um study olympico has hosted some crazy games and i think part of that uh allure is that it's it's played in such a hallowed ground because of the fans yep so it's um yeah it's, it's tough i because i i do see a, a weird level of beauty in in the stadium despite kind of like you know the the underlying kind of tones that are that are not quite inclusive yeah right
0: yeah um yeah maybe maybe that's uh that might be an interesting podcast if we could find like a Lazio fan which we had a bunch of Lazio fans show up on the reddit um and share some of their stuff and they were all you know they were all great and very helpful and um they even actually was funny. They even listed, I had the, like the villi- the rivals and one person wrote, you know, we also have some clubs that we have like close affiliations with. Um, I was also to- told to ignore that post by another person. Like that doesn't really matter. Um, but they, you know, also include friend clubs and they, you know, they list Hellas Verona as a club that they, they just have a similar mentality to Lazio West Ham. So some of the clubs also, as I'm like reading them, like, Oh, well I I know a little bit about those clubs too. And they don't always have the best, (laughs) they don't have the best background as far as fans either. Um, But that would be an interesting kind of second Lazio podcast to do. um, Or any Italian fan who wanted to come on and kind of talk about that, that, that tension within, within a club and within being a fan and, and how it's managed and all that stuff. Anyways, We've, we've sidetracked a little bit but I think it's a, I think it's an important important thing to cover
1: uh Sean, this is my favorite part of, of any pod yes uh, and <laughs> wherever, wherever we go next you know wherever country we pick next i I think this is gonna be um, just a part of the pod that
0: I'll compare to other pods that we've that we've done um cameo the cameos yeah let's I, let's bring it back to some to some good vibes i kind
1: of want to call cameos. it like the the cameo couch or couch cameo um just imagine imagine sitting down on a couch with some of these cameo names i think that's just that's just a great a great uh i don't
0: know a great well vibe. in honor of italian stadiums that always have curvas that could be the the cameo curva
1: oh man a, a curved couch is that like from the 70s
0: <laughs> it is yeah
1: it is <laughs> Um, yeah, so I'll, I'll do, I'll do a quick rundown and then I think, I think there are two names here that we both landed on. Yep. We cannot,
0: well, it's, uh, it's a lock that I always have roughly 12 fewer cameo names than you do. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's,
1: there's just some, some really cool gems here that you just cannot you can bring up.
0: Yep. Fire uh, away.
1: Yeah. Uh, Sinisa um, I always pronounce that one so, so wrong. Um Mihailovic Mihalovich. Uh, Mihalovich. This is the guy that uh he always pops up and, and I, I, I see his name and I always I always need a quick reminder of, of what he looks like. And you click on his, his link, you know, on his Google name. search. And it's the guy in the in the cab driver hat.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: smiling, looking like, you know, some kind of vinter or something. Um yeah, left foot, you know, left foot cannon. Legend all over Syria. has, he's been mentioned a couple times on our podcast before. Um, you know, I think he, he's up there for the record free kick holder. Yeah, uh, him and Pirlo, I think. Yeah, yeah. So gotta mention him. It's it's another cool kind of pit stop for for some of these names. Um, next next is Siri Mobilé, which is more of a uh, a recent name. He makes my list because this man is. um, he credits his success on the field with how well his FIFA manager mode is going with his wife. So, he, Cyril and his wife both play FIFA on the same manager mode, which is like franchise mode, uh, where you're in charge of your, your team. You're the manager and the players and all that. Yep. Um, and, yeah, they share a same FIFA campaign. And if it's going well at, at home on FIFA, it's going well on the field. Um <laughs> i yeah it's a crazy story and and it's just it's just one of those you know wrinkles of of calcio that that uh makes calcio and sports just so fun to watch um <laughs> he went to he went and played at Dortmund um and didn't have a great season at Dortmund and it was because he said he was away from his wife and they couldn't play manager mode together, so he went back to Lazio it's
0: a story of love folks,
1: yeah, yeah, the story of fiFA and love <laughs> by Mussolini. um and so he goes back and and he kills it so yeah so makes the list because of that crazy story uh where's a who german trekker extraordinaire
0: yeah um you know all-time all-time goal scorer in the world cup right
1: right yeah like this guy's a legend you know he did it in in the copas too. He wore copas he scored a goal did a front flip and just just like wow this guy's this guy's just a legend uh roberto mancini um, we know him as a coach i know him as a coach at man city uh, the coach that famously subbed off balotelli after doing that ridiculous back heel attempt in the mls cup final mls all-star game um Dio Simeone simone is next Simeone, we all know him from you know from his time at at uh, atletico madrid i think the most uh, thought of image of Simeone now is, is him Um, having his hands near his balls his genitals and just like kind of saying like yeah my team has balls my team has has guts to play Um, play brave brave uh, brave football brave soccer yep Um, you know known for his all black uh, suit and tie look Um, great guy great great just character he's he's uh, he was asked one time what's your playing style and he says with a knife between my teeth (laughs) fantastic uh, well, Paul Decanio like, he gets double points he, he was mentioned in West Ham and mentioned here uh, I think this guy is so well traveled um,
0: yeah he's, the- he's come up in a couple of I mean we talked about him in West Ham and somewhere yeah. else recently maybe did he play for Milan I wouldn't be surprised yeah somewhere else along the I mean, way you know if he told me he played
1: for Middlesex I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> But yeah, Policanio and I'll, I'll talk about him later. Uh, Hernan Crespo, which we'll go into more detail later. Uh, Veron, who's your boy, um, although he didn't have a great great career at United, but you know he's definitely a baller himself. Nesta, Alessandro Nesta, who goes on to have a really great career at Milan and Italy, and then Giorgio Chinaglia. Uh, is for me was star or asterisk because. This guy's an Italian who had a crazy career outside of Italy in England, and it came back. and I think there's just like there's more more complexity to the Italian web of of, of soccer travels.
0: Yeah, he's uh, he's on my hero list. I've got yeah. some good. I've got some gold on him.
1: Yeah. All right. Um, what you got for cameo?
0: So I I had Varon, and I have no notes under him. Um, and then I had Crespo, who I know you had. Who. Just kind of had an interesting run with Lazio. He was a world record signing um, when he came over from Parma, who we talked about um, last week. And he came over 35 million euro. He won a Scudetto. He scored 39 goals in 59 appearances, had some injuries. And Lazio kind of ran into some money problems and had to sell them to, uh, to Milan, I think is where he ended up. And he had an interest. Like even just looking at what happened to him after he left um, Lazio, he really bounced around, and doesn't really it doesn't really look like he settled anywhere. He went to from Lazio to Inter Milan. Um, he never had more than fifty appearances with any other club. He went he went to Chelsea. He was on loan twice. When he was at Chelsea, uh, scored you know a handful of goals for each of them, but his lazio run was was pretty good his parma run was excellent um but i think just as far as a guy who showed up who won a couple trophies a couple big trophies scudetto and maybe the, maybe the uh uefa he won something else too but he he was my kind of one that i did a little bit of looking at and he's showed up he showed up in two of our other podcasts <laughs> between parma and milan that we've talked about so All right I think he was a hero when we when we had him in in Parma for his time there and how good he was. Yes, he was. And he was also sold from Parma because they didn't have any money. I think.
1: Yes, yes. I yes.
0: think he Parma was up strapped for cash, so they had to sell. So Crespo's just always been an asset, and he was a great goal scorer. Um, yeah, I think you could also I I have him in here as a kind of a hero but I don't have any really, I don't have any notes on him but I read an interview. I think you could put Sven Goran Erickson in here as a cameo.
1: Yeah, Sven is just it's sad that, that the younger fans won't know the, 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 the joy you feel when you see Sven on camera in, in Dugout. Uh, you see him and it's just like, wow like what is going on in his mind? <laughs> Very stoic. Yeah, very so like, stoic. If you look at it, you know Sven's um his like his career, it's just he's he's got to be one of the most um, well-traveled uh, managers for for like where he's from.
0: Yeah, yep. Yeah. And the fact that he ended up he left Lazio to go manage England, which did not go great for him. But there's a there's an interview that I, gentleman ultra, I know I've mentioned it on here a bunch of times released an interview with Sven-Göran Eriksson on February 16th of this year. So we're we're doing this pod kind of around that date. And mm. um and so I I read through it and and combed through the Lazio part, but there's a couple of pictures and it's Eriksson with Carlo Ancelotti, and, you know, when Ancelotti was a player, and then there's another one um with Man, with Mancini who was a player for Göran Eriksson at Lazio in 98, 99 when they, when they won the Scudetto. Um, yeah, so just kind of, he's just had a crazy career. I think he wasn't at Lazio for very long, but had great success. And I think he deserves maybe more of a cameo shout out than a, than a hero shout out, but definitely a guy who's beloved and won a bunch of trophies for Lazio. And I think is credited for, um, for their kind of leap along with them spending some money, but
1: yeah, really quickly. Here's his list of teams managed. Um, Digger Force IF, IFK, Goldberg, uh, Benfica, Roma, Fiorentina, Benfica again, Sampdoria, Lazio, England, Manchester City, Mexico, Ivory Coast, Leicester City, Guangzhou, RNF, Shanghai, SIPG, Shenzhen, and then now the Philippines was his last gig in 2019. Wow. I I really... I don't know if there are any managers that are as traveled, maybe Capello. Um, But man, that is, that is quite a resume.
0: I feel like if you went to, or you could make a movie, like a fictional movie about a European manager who is at the, towards the end of his career. I'm picturing the first scene. You're just sweeping into some Southeast Asian bar and yes. and he's and he's just sitting there drinking uh whatever he's drinking uh getting ready for for the for the game in an hour because he's just he's kind of washed up and this is where he landed there's so many guys who end up finishing their career in that part of the world it's really interesting
1: yeah i i won't lie that's kind of my dream <laughs> <laughs> to be pouring out some like tequila that like was soaking in like the body of a scorpion yeah and you know like just like I poured out all right we're gonna go play against Kuala Lumpur
0: <laughs> a, a, th- a thin linen shirt just stuck to your back with sweat
1: <laughs> right yeah I you know like you just this like this weathered leather book that has notes from you know the the, the 70s my time in Sweden <laughs> Um, I don't know, man. I, that's, that's like the romance that, that I, I just love right now about, about this sport. So that's kind of my dream. I, I think Sven is maybe, as a cameo, he's maybe my hero as a cameo.
0: Um,
1: the guy's a legend.
0: Yep. Yeah, for sure. Uh, let's talk about some heroes.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: So I have a few in here. I'll just list them off and then we can kind of circle back. So, Silvia Piola. Silvio Piola. Um, who was a, he's in the way back machine from the early 1900s. Um, Luciano Re cecchione who has a really, a, the story about him was very sad. Um, but he was part of the, those late nineties teams. And then also, uh, Giorgio, so it's pronounced Canaglia. I thought it was Chinaglia as well. And, and I, um. Well, some article I read kind of gave the pronunciation. So it's Canalia.
1: Canalia. All right. Yeah.
0: Giorgio Canalia. Those were my, and, and Alessandro Nesta.
1: Look, man, my my name is Bob. I can't, I can't.
0: Oh, I know. It's, I I was just reading through, I would have called him Chinaglia as well. That's kind of the phonetical way of, of saying it. So you have, who do you have on here? You've got a, you've got a handful of guys too.
1: I have for heroes. I had I had two guys connected to Nesta and uh, Kinaglia. Okay.
0: Um, so Piola, um, yeah. P- Piola first, just because he's a very long time ago, and I know how you feel about the old timers, both. You don't think they measure sure.
1: up? Yeah. <laughs> I, I like look, man. We we're, we, we just watched uh, we just watched Killian Mbappe and oh, you know my God. Like, go into Barcelona new you know camp new, and just. To quote the commentator, walk into the palace of Lionel Messi and flip over all the furniture. Yeah, I, I just, I just struggle to, to think that uh, Mbappe would have a harder time
0: back in back in the days of the 70s and 80s. How about the how about the 2010s or the 1910s?
1: <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, I, I don't think I,
0: I don't think he he'd uh,
1: he'd be considered human.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, Piola was an early, early Lazio hero. He is the leading scorer in all of Italian first league football still to this day. He scored 290 goals um, in top flight, um, either Serie A or the first division, um, 290 goals. He played in a total of 566 Serie A matches, which is third all time. Um, 277 of those 566 appearances were with Lazio. And he scored 143 goals in those 227 appearances. So he's scoring at a pretty good clip. Um, he is the only player in Italy to be the all-time leading scorer for three teams, which is pretty impressive. you got to stick around for a long time at, at some clubs and score some goals to do that. So he's the leading all-time scorer for Lazio for Pro Vercelli and for Novara um, and then after his death he died in the he died in 1995 I think in the mid 90s um, Novara and Pro Vercelli both named their stadiums after him uh, he won the 1938 World Cup and in 2011 he was posthumously um, inducted into the football Italian Football Hall of Fame so a pretty good resume. Um, for for an old timer, um. So I thought he deserved a, a bit of a, at least a little bit of a shout out. Yeah,
1: sure.
0: Um, and then the other one I had on here who doesn't, who kind of isn't one that you had, is Luciano Riccioni, Riccioni. R- so he, Luciano played in the. Let's see, he was with Lazio from 72 to 77. So he was on the mid-70s teams. This Their, their club won the 74 Scudetto. Um, but he was shot in Rome at age 28 because him and some buddies went in and were pretending to rob a jewelry store. Oh, no. And the owner of the jewelry store Pulled out a gun and shot at them and hit uh, Luciano and killed him. So he died at age 28, kind of at the peak of his powers. He was uh, a pretty well-rated player. Um, he was a key member of the '74 team that won. So you know, 25-year-old on that winning team, um, kind of played in the in the midfield, and just had was just gunned down. There's some. Uh, there was some stuff I read that was that kind of challenged the fact that it was a practical joke and maybe they went in there with different intentions, but anyway, a to slice it for a 28 year old to walk, walk into a jewelry store joking or not. And, and, uh, and be shot, um, was, was he's kind of become a hero just because of his short lived career. Um, and the fact that he was part of that first Scudetto team in 74, which, um, we'll, we'll talk that 74 team. Um, is pretty interesting so those were my two that you didn't have Um, do you want to talk about Nesta or do you want to go to the
1: to what Jordan
0: Nesta first first.
1: yeah he's just I'm just trying to do the math really quickly of his his career start he was born in 76 um, in Rome born in Rome born in Rome 76 and made his first and made his first uh, debut for Lazio in 93 um so he's 17 years old and he goes on he goes on to have a 20-year career um split between mostly split between Lazio and milan um and that's just that to me i think is 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 unheard of um i mean maybe maybe now it's becoming more common as we're seeing athletes prolong their careers through sports science and, and nutrition and exercise but in this time uh you know, I mean, think of how many players we've um, we've talked about in the cameos or the heroes whose careers were cut short. Uh, you know, three years of a flash in the pan of kind of flash of brilliance, and then they they had an injury and then they were gone. Yep. Um, you know, um, uh, Yaboa was a name that comes to mind here. It's like he just he came on and he conquered and then just left really quickly. A few thunder
0: uh, so, bastards. Yeah, thunder bastards.
1: Yeah. Um, and he's gone. So you know, looking at, at a 20-year career for anybody uh, is impressive, but to do it in In, um, in the 90s and, and 2000s, I think is is even more impressive in, in, a, in an age where you know You, you have so many cre- crazy career ending injuries um, He makes 193 appearances for Lazio between 93 and, and 2002 and he goes to make 224 appearances for Milan um, in a 10-year span and he goes on to actually play the MLS, um, which just shows that you know, even in in his later later uh 30s, he's he's still kicking and, and has an entire entire uh, library of tricks to kind of keep him at the top of his game. Yeah. Um, I put in the notes really quickly here. Uh, you can watch it and then maybe link this later in the pod. But it's a short video of Nesta. Uh, he was 35 years old, playing against Lionel Messi, who's probably like still kind of prime Messi. Um, Messi cuts into his left, left foot. He's at, at about the penalty spot. He's shaping to, to shoot. Dribbles even more. And he's now about three feet, four feet from the edge of the six. And Messi just, like, leaves the ground, goes up, and times tackles so perfectly where tackles, ball goes out of bounds for, for a corner kick, um... And Messi just left in a, in a heap, where he's just slamming the ground again and again and again, just just incredibly pissed off and frustrated that this old guy, you know, 35 years old old is relative to sport, but you know is is still uh just just commanding uh, the game. Champions League, Champions League match, uh, Milan against Barcelona, and it's just like, I mean, it, it doesn't get better than this, man. Old school defender wearing black boots, you know, socks pulled up halfway. Uh, on his shins no no fancy tape none of that none of that nonsense wearing number 13 it gets up and his shorts are still clean uh, <laughs> you know, he's wearing black nikes messi's like wearing neon boots and he's slamming the ground this kid Messi, is just like he's bewildered um and i think that you know quick one minute video uh one minute um uh, kind of an example of, of his qualities something that, that goes a long way man he's known as the most elegant defender um, to ever grace a game um, he actually won a trophy under uh, Sun Gordon Erickson as a captain when they won the 98 cup against Milan in the final uh, he scored a winning goal um, you know combined the combined career of over 400 appearances in Serie A and yeah I mean like you know, notes here. I have creative tackles. When I, when I think of a tackle, I don't think it as as creative. I think it's just as like, you know, no nonsense studs up, studs in, just just tackle. But you know, to, to be known as somebody that, that brought grace to the to the position to the job description is is amazing. Um, so he has to get a shout out there for, for me as a hero, um, if not for for just for Italian football in general.
0: Yeah, well, for Lazio fans, his dad should be a hero, too. Right. Because he was uh, spotted by Roma first. And he was approached by Roma, and his dad said, no, no, no. No, no, no. You're not playing for Roma. If you're going to play for anyone in Rome, you're playing for Lazio. He was a, His dad was a Lazio supporter. And the only really, again, like we talked about with Crespo, he was sold because Lazio needed money. Um, I don't think... You sell a guy who he had won three straight defender defensive player of the year or defender of the year awards in Syria, which I'm not sure what to relate that to, but in a country that prides itself on phenomenal defenders in that era, when he's sharing a you know he's sharing Syria with Maldini, um, just the fact that he won three three of those in a row uh, is is pretty astounding. So he was, he was one of my heroes too. Definitely a guy who I think was he the captain? Did you say that of the Scudetto winning side? Yeah, uh, just a great, just a great player. Um, so then the last guy we have is uh, Canalia. Giorgio Canalia. So he played from '69 to '76 for Lazio. Uh, he is quite the character. So I found a couple articles. Um, he was nicknamed Long John due to his style of play. I don't know if that's like a Long John Silver, like kind of pirate swashbuckling. Um, and also Long John because he resembled John Charles, who was a Welsh footballer who also who played in Italy. So Canalia's, you know, story starts in Italy, but he left with his family because his family needed work. And so they moved to Wales, Uh, So he ends up in Wales as a kid, kind of grows up in Wales, started his playing career with Cardiff or in Cardiff with Swansea, um, you know, who is I don't know what where they are right now. Maybe they're in the championship, but they've spent a little time in the Premier League. Um, Then at age 19, him and his family returned to Italy because Canaglia still had his military duty to fulfill, So he had to go back in the, you know, 1960s and put in his time with the military. But he kind of claimed that that was probably the most important time of his life. He said, quote, well, he kind of said if if he hadn't, you know, come back and, and join the military, he said he would, quote, otherwise I'd probably still be in Wales, slogging it out in the mud and drinking ale the Italian army has a special regiment for soccer players. So all I did in the service was to train all day and when my club had a game, get a pass. Um, so, you know, he was in the, he was quote unquote in the military, but I think he probably had a pretty simple enough run at it. Um, had had free reign to go and play his matches. I think he played in Serie B at that time um, for... He was playing for uh, Massese in 1966 to 67. And then Internopoli from 67 to 69. So he played for those two clubs um, first. But that's kind of where he got a little bit of discipline. And, you know, like he said, he wasn't just slogging out in the mud and drinking ale. Like, you know, everyone does in Wales, I guess. Uh, and then he, I, I quote from the New York times article, just to give you a sense of what kind of player he was. uh, It says the article reads quote, Giorgio Canalia was a goal scorer period watching him as he prowled the penalty area, lanky hunch shouldered barrel chested fans saw no feints, no tricks, no shimmies or shakes. There was nothing fancy about his play. It was bullish and direct like the man himself. Um, so and he was certainly he was certainly direct um, and kind of a gruff guy he was really tough to deal with some of the stories he only played two matches for Italy and they were both in the World Cup the second one he was taken off he yelled at his coach and threw a fit and he never played for Italy again Um, and he uh, let's see what else here. I mean, it's, it's a pretty, um, he, sorry, he only earned 14 caps for Italy he threw he played in two games in the world cup. So he played 14 games total, but in 1974, um, uh, or, yeah. Or whatever that world cup year was. So he was just a tough character. The 1974 Scudetto team that won. I don't know if you read anything about this, this club in particular, both or this team in particular,
1: i I did only
0: only briefly
1: though. I only have it up here on, on my notes just as, a, as, a, as an aid to, to the notes uh, for our pod.
0: Yeah, I, I read a, I just read maybe one or two little articles, but he he was very much part of a, a team that was divided um, in 1974, that club that won. They had different so there were kind of two factions of the team. Um, and they were they were very very separated so much so that they would um, they had separate locker rooms so they would they would get ready for matches separately um, during practices they would constantly be bickering and fighting uh, but their manager kind of just managed to get them through the season and they managed to win the scudetto even though they were they all hated each other or they, there were two factions of the club. Um, and they all just, they despised each other. Um, it, it was, it's, it was a very interesting piece. Let's see where it was here. Cult of Calcio has a, has a great piece on it. Um, so they, yeah, they were just constantly fighting. Their manager was, uh, Tommaso Mastrelli. Um, and that 1974 team just in general had a bunch of, of tragedy follow it as well. It was just a, they had the the death of, um, the of Luciano who was killed in the jewelry store. Their manager died of a heart attack, I think, very suddenly in two years after they won. Um, so the team just kind of just kind of crumbled after that. Um, let's see, what else do I have on this in this guy? Uh, and then so, uh, um, Canalia goes and actually plays with Pele for the Cosmos as well. Wow. So he found his way to, to the U.S. And another New York Times article just t- talked about what a, what a difficult teammate he was. Um, and so this is another quote from another article in the New York Times. Quote, in a widely reported locker room confrontation, he complained that Pele was being stingy about passing to Chiell- uh, Chiellini. He habitually referred to himself in the third person. Paley replied, there was no point in passing to a striker who shot from impossible angles. To which Canalia said, uh, to which Canalia leapt from his seat and bellowed, I am Canalia. If I shoot from a place, it's because Canalia can score from there. And quote. <laughs> That's good.
1: I, I love when people refer to themselves as a person. Yeah, it's pretty great. Like, you
0: know,
1: Ibrahimovic is a lion.
0: Yep. Yeah, so Canaglio is is just kind of a mythical mythical figure. He ended up actually dying in the U.S. because he could not get back to Italy. There was a warrant out for his arrest. He also was part owner of the 1980 Lazio Club that was relegated. He tried to buy them again in 2016, um, but couldn't because he couldn't actually return to Italy. He would have been arrested. Uh, so, it kind of his last few years, he actually couldn't even go home, uh, which is kind of which is kind of heartbreaking. But, but a hero, but a, just a, a a hero in in Lazio. Um, he played two hundred nine games and scored ninety eight league goals um, for for club over his time.
1: Yeah, no, it's a. I think for me, he he caught my eye just like usually. It's it's. Um, it's, you know, uh, or as we've seen on, on the pod, an Englishman kind of having like a, a foray in, in Syria and kind of just surprising us. But it was just, it was a strange to find an Italian and a, a legend um, start his career in, in Swansea, of all places. Um, but now, it's, again, it's really cool, really cool piece of the fabric of uh, yeah. the storyline.
0: Yeah. And he just looks like he everything I just described, if you find a picture of him. He looks exactly like he 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 sounds. Just a kind of a burly, hair is kind of curly and long, you know, if 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 he lived in the US in the 70s, you'd wonder if he would have been running with with some mobsters. Um maybe he was running with some mobsters, who knows. Uh but yeah, just a just a quite a character. All right, let's let's press on here and Let's talk about, well, we got, we got our villain. Our villain is Roma, right?
1: Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I had maybe the villain also being maybe the Ultras. Uh, I think it would be cool to, to, see, to see and hear from uh, a fan that doesn't really support the Ultras kind of movement. Um, but, yeah, that's where I'm at. And I have a, a picture here of this <laughs> demonic-looking image of, of a fan section uh red flares and smoke and it just looks like this yeah man if, if you're if you're the away team i feel bad for you
0: yeah not a place i would want to enter Not no. not a not a place for outsiders um darkest moment Yeah, um, I, yeah you go for it
1: no so i i think i think this is a club like a lot of clubs and and you'll i i can let you get into this more later um this is a club that you know, had successes and had the trophies. And then they kind of just this financial ruin kind of clouds some of that history that, or you know, takes up some, some shine off that polish. Um, but for me, again, this article is, is a great article that shows the beauty and the complexity of, of tribalism and, and, and soccer or football. Um, so here we go. Fabrizio, Pisitelli, more widely known as by his name by his nom de guerre, so his war name, Diabolic, was a leader of irriducible, a group of neo fascist Lazio ultras who arose from Italy's years of lead the period in the nineteen eighties when domestic terrorism carried out by the far left and the far right led to hundreds of deaths. In a football culture where the influence of organized semi militant fan groups could carry almost as much weight as the decisions of club owners and managers, Diabolic's control of the cover Nord and Lazio's Stadio Olimpico was extremely significant, even as he himself was banned by the government from all countries' stadia. Policanio, a player who sported the tattoo of Mussolini, and would regularly give the Romans a loot after scoring for Lazio, knew Pizzatelli. In an extract from his new book, 1312 Among the Ultras, James Montad recalls Pizzatelli three months before he was shot dead in a local park, fresh off a three-year stint in prison for drug trafficking. Which saw the Italian police impound more than two million euro in cash and other assets. Pisatelli bemoaned the modern ultras movement and expressed dismay at the unwillingness of younger ultras to use violence or commit acts of vandalism. Wow. Um. Yeah, I, I, again, I, am torn because I, 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 a part of me just like loves this story, you know. Like, you know, you watch Netflix and it's like it's like all these kind of twisted documentaries or or movies and it's kind of you just can't stop watching it yeah but it's it's so it's so fascinating and i i think that's probably my next book my next uh purchase is 1312 it sounds like a, an insane read um it sounds like honestly like um you know uh my time with with verona yeah um but yeah so i think that for me is a dark moment but a moment that at Still has a lot of just interesting and, and fascinating aspects of of the club history because uh, it, it's complex, man, and, I, and you can't separate the ugly from the beautiful because it's all part of one, I think,
0: unique culture and identity. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, and then the other the other piece is you know my darkest part is just that you know the club ends up being relegated in nineteen eighty, and I think again in nineteen eighty six. Um, and it was you know partly because of scandal um they were you know part of gambling scandals and uh, you know another thing that has come up a whole bunch in <laughs> in Italian in these Italian podcasts is this match fixing uh they were uh they were re- relegated they were forcibly relegated to Serie b in 1980. Um, there was a scandal ab- around illegal bets on their own matches, um, and Milan. We talked about them last week. had the same had the same fate, uh, and they had they stayed down there for three years. Um, they would come back in eighty three. They managed to stay up that year. Um, eighty five they stayed down. And, uh, or sorry, 85, they would go back down again. They had, they earned 15 points in 1985 and, uh, and went down and then at 86. So that's kind of the cap off this dark window of time. They were deducted nine points. And when you consider the fact that you only got two points for a win, nine points, I guess would almost feel like that's going to be, you know, four wins and a tie, Right. So what's four wins in a tie now to a 13 points, So it's, you know, a 13 point deduction in, in this day and age for another betting scandal. Um, so they just kind of hit this really tough little stretch through a, a lot of their own a, a lot of their own fault. Um, but like a lot of clubs in the 80s, it just seems it seems that 80s and 90s, there were clubs that were just dealing with this stuff. Uh, and then 92 Sergio Craig. Craig Naughty shows up um, and kind of changed things around and started spending money. And, you know, eight years later they win a, they win a Scudetto, but that's my darkest little period there. I think your darkest period kind of covers the yours is more like a dark culture over the, over the club, which I think is a, is a fair thing to consider.
1: Yeah. I But I also, I also think like a dark period looking at, looking at, you know this this growing trend pattern of, of um, shady business in, in Italian football is is also uh, worth bringing up too. It, it's it's sad, and I think that you know if this were to happen in in America with with our sports here, it we it be you know it'd be news uh, for for months. Um, but for some reason, it's kind of uh, commonplace in in Syria. Um, so we're bringing up because we could, we could have seen, you know, another, another, uh, two or three teams at the top of, you know, this Assyria fight for the, for the trophy, the, uh, Scudetto, but we don't, we see, we just kind of see this Juve, um, and you wonder what it would look like if, if there wasn't this, um, unfortunate part of, of, of history.
0: Yep. Uh, how about the best trophy? It has to be the first,
1: right? Um, I think the scudetto, you know, is is just I don't know. It's a it's a everyone loves their, their scudetto. I think in Italy we we see more of a more of a focus, more more pride in the scudetto than we do other trophies. Um, in some countries now, where you know, there's more there's more emphasis on the Champions League or or more global competitions, but I think the scudetto is is still it still means a lot to Italy um, where maybe the Prem trophy doesn't mean as much to England or La Liga doesn't mean as much to, to, to Spain. I think the, 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 the Scudetto, sorry, is, is still sacred.
0: Yeah. The, so the two, I have the, I think the 74 one is their, is their best too, but the, uh, there's an interesting story about the 2000 win that was shared with me on Reddit by uh, let's see, Lord L66. <laughs> so he wrote. I'll, I'll just read what he wrote. He said, uh "There's also a very interesting fact about the 2000 Scudetto. Juventus were Serie A leaders on the very on the last match day and only needed one point, and were playing away against Perugia, while we had to play at home against uh, regina We won easily our game three nothing, but at halftime at Perugia it began to pour down rain, and the match was suspended because the pitch was flooded." The game didn't restart till 80 minutes later. So Lazio fans and players were anxiously waiting the game, the end of the Juventus game. Uh there's videos of Lazio fans on the pitch celebrating Perugia's goal and the final whistle. So these, you know, the last um, the last match day typically all the teams kick off at the same time. So everyone's kind of on a level playing field. And so Juventus um, you know, all they need to do is I think all they need to do is, is draw and they end up at halftime having their game held off for 80 minutes. So Juventus has just got to wait around for 80 minutes and the Lazio fans already know what, ha- you know, their game is done. It's dusted. They know what they need the Juventus game to end up and Perugia scores a goal in the final whistle. And that's how Lazio wins their Scudetto. So maybe Lazio doesn't win the Scudetto if the rainstorm doesn't come. You know the rainstorm Scudetto.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean that that's, that could be a, a close call. What could have been in your next section?
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Which I don't. I didn't really have any any close calls. There was nothing that, but that might be that. Maybe that may be, that might be the one. Now that now that you mention it, just what happens if it doesn't rain in a halftime of the Juventus perugia game? They don't their their second Scudetto problem might not have been a thing. Yeah. And then maybe Nesta's not a hero and sven Gorn Eriksson, maybe he doesn't go to England. Maybe he sticks around because he wants to see if he can win one in 2001. Mm-hmm. Uh, but man, they won the Scudetto. And even two years later, they were selling guys off.
1: It's, it's, it's hard to see because you, you wonder, you know, what does a club need to need to do to break out of that mold of, you know, a, a flash in the pan kind of, kind of team? Um. But, you know, you, you look at their, their history, they, they, they've got trophies, man, like and a lot of them are are, are some of them are, are recent, but for some reason, they're not as they're not seen as this kind of powerhouse
0: or, or um, mainstay in that in that uh, Serie A chase. Yeah, I mean, they've won the Supercopa three times since 2009 and the Copa Italia three times since 2009 as well. So like they're they are they're winning trophies. They're competing. I don't know what team you'd compare them to. Maybe in England. I don't know. One one Scudetto and a couple. Twenty years ago, I, I I can't even think. There's too many. There's not enough teams that win. Maybe it's Chelsea or or Man City. Yeah, I mean, Man City was was better. Chelsea's not, but Chelsea won a Champions League too. <clears throat> you know, it's tough. Maybe maybe a Leicester. Maybe you compare them to. They're like, they were sixteen years ahead of what Leicester was. Because if I mean, how many teams have won the Scudetto since two thousand? It's Juventus, Lazio, the Milan's. Anyone else? Uh, <laughs> um,
1: not top of my head. I yeah, I, I head.
0: can't think of. There's. they probably. I think there is one more. But. Yeah, so that's all I've got for Lazio.
1: Yeah, I just want to put it out there um, for any listeners. I apologize for my pronunciation of some of these names and words. <laughs> Always. Um, it should just be, a, yeah. we should just do that at the opening. <laughs> <laughs> like, a, like, a, like a waiver. Just <laughs> yeah. Just kind of um, <laughs> No, I, I, think, I think this was, was, was a fun one. It, I, again, I, I chose it because I, I knew of some names and you know, it's crazy how how this podcast has so many tributaries and branches off of different you know topics and subtopics that are tangent, but still kind of embedded in the the core of the history. Yeah, um, it's it's cool. I think this is one of the fun ones.
0: And I'm gonna I'm gonna put a call out if if you are a Lazio fan or you're a fan of any Italian team um, who kind of has that. I don't know that, that shadow of, of kind of a ultra group that doesn't necessarily represent the wider, the wider fan base, we would love to have you on. Um, and you can just, you can DM me on Twitter. I I'll put my, I'll put my, um, link in the, in the bio of this podcast, but we would, we would love to have somebody on just to talk about Italian football and that, that kind of challenge of rooting for a team and maybe being part of a fan base that doesn't align with what you believe but you're rooting for a club that you love so I I put that call out to Lazio fans or any other fans of teams that we've talked about or haven't talked about because I think that would be an interesting conversation to have that's my last thing that's it
1: yeah um thank you for for listening Uh, all the listeners thank you Sean for help having me Uh, this was a special one i look forward to um more syria man i i this this i'm i'm telling you whenever we move i think we're going to miss how how rich in in layers um syria is
0: yeah for sure it's it's definitely been it's it's been good and it's been a, a going back and listening and thinking about the english clubs that we've done um there it's just it it is like each country has its own specific thing and there are threads that run through all of them but there are also things that make them stand out and and make them different and it's uh, it's definitely been fun so we will be back next week with um i don't even know who we're doing next we've got to figure it out offline and um it'll be a surprise for everybody so thanks again to everyone for listening and both, we'll see you next time yeah thank you thanks